Hello and welcome welcome to Chronic Correlations with your hosts Fiona and Danny. Please note this podcast is for information only. Please seek medical advice from a registered medical professional. And on today's show, I think me and Danny are quite excited to have Jenny on the show. And how are you, Jenny? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. No, 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 you're more than welcome. I've been seeing you on social media and I've been seeing that you've been getting um, quite big now and you're actually quite interested as well what you're doing. So can you tell us more about yourself, your PhD, what you're studying and your own type of health journey as well for our you know, yes, listeners absolutely. and with Danny as well? So I'm currently known as the hips and pelvis advocate on social media. Um, I'm actually currently an MPH student at the University of Florida and a soon-to-be PhD student at the University of Texas Houston in health promotion behavioral sciences. Um, I'm really hoping to use this degree to achieve my goal to become an effective research scientist, particularly in sexual health and rare chronic diseases. Um, I'm also a new member of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health on their patient advocacy committee. And I also do run my own support group for multiple symptom patients. And um, I've also had a very nonlinear health journey. Um, I've lived in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Maryland, London, and Houston. And I really didn't have a set number of providers until I moved to Houston and stayed there. Um, so I was recently diagnosed with Ehlers-Stanlos syndrome in August of 2022 by a genetics test. And this really shed light on the chronic conditions I've had. Um, so I did begin a lot of my medical journey in 2006. Um, I had some slight discrepancies here and there between having nosebleeds, difficulty with an extra bone in my foot, but I really never expected I would be basically disabled to where I am today. Um, so to begin with, um, at age 13, I started noticing most of my, well, the beginning of my abnormalities, um, I had terrible dysmenorrhea, which is painful cramps. And this is to the point that it would keep me in bed some days. Um, I also had long periods of bleeding. So my childhood pediatrician for this put me on birth control to help me suppress my hormones to control the pain and the bleeding, but this really didn't help much. Um, another thing was that I also could not insert a tampon. And this was really painful for my first few attempts. And I continued to try again and again. And my doctors really just ignored this. They said, you're still young, give it time. Um, I, so I want to mention probably, this was probably the early onset of endometriosis. This is a chronic inflammatory debilitating disease where the endometrial-like tissue grows outside of the uterus. There's no cure right now. There's treatments. Um, and then the most common clinical symptoms for this would be pelvic pain, infertility, bloating, dysmenorrhea, dyspareunia, which means painful sex. Um, and I think what's really interesting is that there are a lot of theories to why it occurs, but we don't really know yet. Um, the most popular theory for this one would be Samson's theory of retrograde menstruation. This is currently being debunked, which is basically the idea that the menstrual blood flows out of the opposite direction of the fallopian tubes and the endometrial-like cells implants on other parts of the body. And as of 2022, it's been found on every single part of the body. Okay. I, I mean, some of the research that I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of research. I've got, I've had similar issues to you and, and so have a lot of my family members. Um, I've had such a painful time. I mean, I've actually gone into premature ovarian failure now. I'm 44, um, so and I'm completely finished. I'm I'm through the menopause, so obviously that's very early, really. Um, 
I suffered though for many years with extreme bleeding, heavy periods. The pain was immense. Yeah. I used to get pain down my, uh, from my, going down my leg and my groin. I would be rolling in the bed and sometimes I would vomit because the pain was that intense. Um, that was, and I know that um, some of my family members suffer with the same symptoms now. Um, younger members too, you know, teenagers. I'm taught, and I've had these symptoms since a teenager too. Um, some of the research that I've looked at, because um, my research primarily has been into zinc and the effects of zinc on human body. I've got papers which um, talk about the uh, zinc with endometriosis, for example. Have you ever looked at, or have you ever come across anything like that? Um, Fiona sent me some of the papers last week. I did get a chance to look at them. It was very interesting. Could you explain a little bit more about that? If well, from yeah, from my angle, I mean, uh, the, the information that I have that show that many studies have shown that serum zinc levels in women with endometriosis are decreased. Um, zinc is involved in many, many processes in the human body. Many, many processes. Um, there are just too many to discuss, if I'm honest, in, in one podcast. Um, there are so many reactions that it's involved in and then it, it has knock-on effects where it makes substitutions and changes in amino acids and to compensate for the loss. Um, and I've uh, obviously been taking zinc myself. Um, again, a disclaimer, this is not, you should seek med, uh, advice from a registered medical professional um, when you're looking at taking any supplements or making any changes. Um, but I've been doing it for myself and I have noticed a difference in lots of things. So, for example, in a zinc deficiency, the estrogen uh, receptor is upregulated. Um, so there, there are lots of things um, which it's involved in hormonally wise. Um, for example, it's involved in the vitamin D receptor. Uh, and again, a lot of us, well, 80% of the population are vitamin D deficient, even in people who live in uh, and are exposed to sunshine on a regular basis. They're still vitamin D deficient and even with supplementation, a lot of people are. So there's obviously an underlying mechanism which is affecting that, isn't there? Um, vitamins wise, um, have you ever had any um, vitamin and mineral tests? You know, a lot of people are vitamin B deficient and vitamin D. For me, I'm extremely vitamin D deficient. I was a level eight out of the highest one being a hundred. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I well, mean, I'm, I'll go into it as well there a bit for you as well. So um, I completely get you, Jenny. Um, when I was younger, um, especially when it comes to like periods, menstruation, pain, the level of blood was so bad, I'd have to wear two trousers. And I'd have to change every 40 minutes. Okay, that's how bad it was. Um, and then it got to a stage where it was so severe, it would make me anemic. And the thing is, is I think a lot of people do struggle, struggle with heavy flows, especially in the EDS community and the topics that you've talked about as well, for sure. Because there are people that do discuss it. There are people that don't want to talk about it. I think, you know, Danny can agree on that. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say, um, again, my disclaimer here is, again, you know, this is, you know, for people to go and see the correct medical help. It's only my information from my journey. But mm -hmm. I've noticed even with um, changing my diet and the zinc aspect, which have been under uh, registered medical professionals, um, my flow has reduced by 85%. It's a lot wow. lighter. 
Um, so from my point, I've mentioned that as part of the trial that I'm doing, um, which goes to show, you know, how impactful it's been on me because, you know what, I think when you have a heavy flow as a woman, it is hard and you feel self-conscious every day, you know, when you're on your period because it is a difficult thing because you're thinking, how heavy am I going to be? Is it going to flow out? And, you know, and that's why you have to have extra pads with you and things like that. And then some people that I've heard discuss in EGS community about, you know, the putting your tampon in, inside type of thing, some of them can't do that, you know. Right. And, you know, from that point, then there's that type of bigger concern in the community about discussing this, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, so actually going off the tampon issue, I did want to talk a little bit about the vulvar pain issues that I've experienced myself. Um, so like when throughout my youth, I had asked multiple doctors to help me try to achieve intercourse and um, insert a tampon. And I was first diagnosed with vaginismus. This is a condition characterized by the muscles spasming due to fear of penetration. And there are a lot of people on these Facebook forums that are improperly getting diagnosed with, else, with this condition without proper assessment. Um, I wanna say that the external portion of the vulva was never ever assessed. So these doctors are going straight in internally. They're not assessing the vulva. So like the vulva include the clitoris, the labia majora, the labia minora, and the vulvar vestibule. And the vulvar vestibule is a piece of tissue that's inside the labia minora. It surrounds, it's right below the clitoris. If you think of it like a clock, it goes all the way around the urethral orifice, all the way down to the bottom of the vagina. It's actually associated with a number of potential factors such as hormonal ones. There's a condition called hormonally mediated vestibulodynia that's often associated with um, taking contraceptives. Um, so like an increase in the sex hormone binding globulin can contribute mm -hmm. to an increase in free testosterone. And this is often rectified by um, taking a, a, a bunch of um, different types of creams. They're estradiol testosterone creams. You, ha these, you have to get them from a compounded pharmacy and a vulvar specialist. There's also another one called the neuroproliferative vestibulodynia. That's the one that I was recently diagnosed with. It's due to an overgrowth of mast cells or inflammatory cells in the vulvar vestibule. And none of my providers really ever, ever mentioned this. They kept saying, you have a psychological condition, you're scared of penetration, go to pelvic floor PT. So I went to probably seven pelvic floor PTs and we did a bunch of different treatments like relaxing the pelvis, doing diaphragmatic breathing. I went to also cognitive therapy where we did meditation, hypnosis. And I'd been doing this probably for about two years nonstop. And as I was doing this, my body kept getting worse and worse. And I've even had, I there was a, a good period of time and I couldn't even walk. And they were doing so much relaxation on the surrounding muscles of the pelvis that um, they and they completely neglected the hips. That was the biggest thing. And actually in 2021, I got a diagnosis of bilateral hip dysplasia, which is just basically shallow sockets surrounding the femoral head, um, cam pingement, which is a bony malformation of um, the, the ball and socket joint, and then also labral separation, where there's just kind of a separation between the femoral head and the acetabulum. And this was completely ignored. Um, I'd been to several providers where they just told me, you know, your body's going to take a long time to recover from this. You just need to relax, um, go to cognitive therapy. And I absolutely could not even walk in 2021. It was just. Do you know, can I just say, I understand your pain when it comes to things like the hip. Okay. I had very similar to you. 
Uh, Jenny, I had FAI, I had label tears, my labrum exploded and there was multiple cysts in it. And you know what? I think what you're talking about there is about trying to find the root cause of the situation. Do you know what I mean? And it's the thing is, is they don't look at root causes. And as we know, for example, like hip, you know, hip pain can spread into specific areas, i.e. things like the groin, the back and other areas as well. And this is why, you know, for example, they need to be investigated as in a root cause, but not as a, you know, up the tree aspect going, we're missing something here. And like you said about the vulva, you know, they're not, they're looking at certain areas, but not everything. So then that leads to like a misdiagnosis in a sense. And then a longer term issue is in a care plan because people aren't getting the right treatment effectively because they're not looking at the basics. And you know what? I think, you know, the fact you couldn't walk, you know, has absolutely shocked me because, you know, it's empowering for you in a way now in the position that you're in. But then, you know, I can see why you are absolutely unable to walk with the issues that you had with your hip and everything else you know going on and the point being here is when they try to blame the aspect of you know this psychiatry aspect of it I'm not being funny I can assure people you know it is not something psychiatric it is not psychosomatic people have these particular symptoms and conditions but the right questions need to be asked and the right checks need to be done do you know what I mean Jenny? Yes. And I think one of the things, too, is that people, these providers are failing to recognize their own limitations and they're continuing to treat me without a diagnosis. There's just no patient-centered care. I've had a number of my images being improperly read. I know this happens a lot with a lot of people that I've talked to in my groups. Um, Doctors tend to rely only on the report. So I'd had a number of hip imaging done. It said it was negative. And I found out later that for hip dysplasia, you need set number of x-rays, done lateral degree, 45 and 90 degrees, pelvis MRI, 3D CT scan. Those were never done before. And I had been to several pelvic floor PTs where they said, you know, your hips are fine. You just need to calm down the overactive nervous system. And they were using this as a substitute for a a diagnosis. And I couldn't even walk at 26 years old. It just just blew my mind. I had had a similar experience. I broke my, um, my back last year. Um, I snapped the fat transverse process at three and four um, and it was it was uh, missed on on the x-rays they said they couldn't see it and I had an MRI for something different and they picked it up on that six weeks later um, and I'd been back and forth to my GP and she kept they they were quite rude to me telling me that it was muscular and to just rest and and you know to, um, movement was the best thing I actually had a broken back and I walked around in agony for weeks and weeks thinking I was going mad you know um, mm-hmm. thinking I was being dramatic maybe you know and but I wasn't I genuinely you know I'd broken my back no wonder I was in pain so as you said things being missed on x-rays and not being re- x reports not being read properly um, I've had that on a, on a number of occasions um, personally from my own experience and you know when people are coming back and forth to, to doctors you know, it's generally not because it's psychosomatic, it's because it's causing them a real problem in their lives, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, when, I mean, I remember when I had my hip issue, for example, Jenny, okay? I went to my GP, okay? This is a couple of years back before the zinc and new medication trial aspect, but a couple of years back, and I said to her, I said, I can't cope with the pain, help me. And do you know what? She was the only one to listen okay at the time because I had a physio at the time who just said like you had Jenny just carry on you'll be fine it's like no this isn't fine the pain is too much 
I'm not imagining this. And I remember this GP saying to me, she knew me for a decade. And the first thing she said to me is, Fiona, you're never in this severe pain. What's wrong? Are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you? And do you know what she did? She put me straight to a hip surgeon there. The hip surgeon said to me there, I was lucky I had this hip surgeon who was a really great hip surgeon in the UK. And he said to me, I can see you're in pain. You're knowledgeable. What do you want me to do to help you? You know, I mean, I was lucky to that extent. And, you know, that's when they found out all the issues and all the exploding labrum and labrum tears. But the thing is, is this is what I mean about getting things checked correctly, because if you don't check things correctly, that can have a huge impact on a patient, you know, from yeah. walking to quality to li- quality of life to living and actually long term effects as well, like PTSD is huge within um, the medical process right mm-hmm. now because people have a trust issue because when those things happen, it's hard to rebuild after that, you know, because mm-hmm. if you think you're thinking constantly, I have to advocate to ensure that's right. I have to advocate to ensure that test result is correct. So every test result I have now, every MRI is thoroughly checked, you know. Yeah, I always have a second opinion. Well, I was also going to say that um, I'm not saying to not mention the psychological po- component, but I think we really need to modify how it's being used and how much to use it and when to use it. Because I think a lot of these people are, are being told that their issues are psychological and then they really internalize it and um, it becomes that people are in. So, like when I was told that, I believed it for a good few years until I continually got worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And it's really truly responsible for delaying an actual diagnosis or many diagnoses and needed treatments. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I was first, at first I was given antidepressants. That's the first thing they did. You know, you must be depressed. No, I'm not depressed. I'm getting depressed because I'm not getting any help and because I keep having the same problems and it's getting me down, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm not well, I, um, I'm not here because I'm depressed. I'm here because I'm having X, Y, Z problems, which is making me feel rubbish, you know? Um, and then it becomes a vicious cycle, you see, doesn't it? Anyway, because you end up, that you do become depressed because when you start taking antidepressants, you start messing with levels of things anyway. And, and the side effects from them, you know, um, they can last for weeks and weeks when you first start taking them, can't they? You know? Um, I was going to say that um, birth control, like for endometriosis and adenomyosis, we're being told to go on that. And there's a tremendous amount of side effects that are not being taken into consideration. Yes, I totally agree. I'm very concerned about the fact that lots of people have um, a predisposition to BRCA mutations because of genetics. um, And those things can influence those, you know, in a a huge way. Um, Because I've got uh, family members who have had mastectomies. Um, two, two uh, of my, well, my mum's sisters, basically, have had mastectomies because of breast cancer. So I, it concerns me and I refused. Again, this is me personally and you should speak to your own physician, but I personally refused um, hormone replacement since I've gone into menopause because I am concerned that I may end up with breast cancer. I mean, I will say this as well. There's something called the BNF in the UK, which doctors, GPs use or consultants use, where it lists all the contradiction, side effects and so forth. Even under the NICE guidelines in the UK and the BNF book, which is what I said all them doctors use and pharmacists use to prescribe, 
it does list all the contradictions in that. And it is important that they go seek the correct medical advice. But to give you an example as well, my mum had breast cancer. Um, as soon as she had it, they took the contraceptive pill away from me. Because yeah. in the UK, Jenny, what actually happens is, is if you've had a family history of um, breast cancer, generally doctors as a rule will not like you on it because of the increased risk of the breast cancer risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that point, that's why they generally don't like you on it. It is down to the physician because they decide upon that, if that makes sense, over the balance of each patient's comorbidities, issues or family history you know, which is why they have to go to the correct medical professional that looks after them. Um, But in my situation, I can only speak of that's what happened to me. Yeah, I think that so I actually went to a physiatrist kind of before I got all my hips diagnosed, and she wanted to put me on a number of like, antidepressants and different types of medications like gabapentin or Lyrica specifically for nerve pain. And I said, those come with a lot of side effects. And she couldn't believe that I would not want to go on it. And I, it just was the side effects, as you said, because they target the GABA receptors, don't yeah. they, those medications? So I know, like, people gain weight with these, um, they yeah. feel extremely sluggish with them, it's just not a way to live, and I don't think that the benefits are the cons sometimes with these. I, yeah. I mean, I agree, I mean, I'll give you an idea, I, after a particular surgery I had, I normally, I was, I'm no longer on pain meds, but previous to this, I used to take anti-inflammatories, okay? And then basically I had an issue around that point. So then they put me on Tramadol, right? And Tramadol, for me, I was seeing monkeys with wings, right? And I've seen birds flying at me. And I just, I remember saying this to my rheumatologist and I remember him, he found the humour in it because that's what I do. I find humour in these things. I said to him, I said, I want to stop seeing flying monkeys, right? And I'll tell you what, that's what I mean about medications in this particular BNF book. Everybody's affected by them differently, like you said, Journey. There, there is contradictions and side effects to all the medications. Some people respond well to them. Some people don't. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And- um, I wanted to actually say that, like, so I had some, have you heard of um, Botox for pelvic floor? Yep. Yeah. So I had that um, at a clinic right when I was diagnosed with vaginismus. And um, this clinic claimed that they would have great success with me. And they told me I was a great candidate. And immediately after the procedure, I had these really adverse side effects. Um, I had chills, fever for several days. My whole entire body basically collapsed. I had urinary urgency, pain in my lower abdomen, back and groin. And nobody could figure out why that happened. The worst on the consent form, the worst thing they said that could happen would just be a little bit of urinary incontinence. And they didn't know what to make of it at all. Did you get like um, UTI type symptoms then? I did. And also just, I think just because my hips were in the dorsal orthotomy position, that's another thing that a lot of us with EDS have is when the legs are propped up, the hips tend to subluxate in the dorsal orthotomy. That's another thing that's always being ignored. Endometriosis surgeons often ignore that when people are having endometriosis surgery, gynecological surgery. Um, the body positioning during surgery is so important. Yes. And I mean, I've experienced it for years. I didn't know what it was. It first sort of started, I think in my 20s, I first remember it, um, when I was pregnant and I would get um, like the hip bone seemed to like catch and I'd get a (laughs) severe sharp pain in my hip. Um, And I now realised, look, it was subluxing and then I would feel it pop back in. But I would get extreme pain in, in the time in between, but it didn't last very long. But as I got older, 
um it were it now sort of grinds you know and and it sort of it pops you know um it makes a clicking sound a dreadful clicking sound every time i sort of lift my leg up and down it makes an awful clicking sound and it you can hear the bone rubbing against the other one and i can feel it grinding um and i mean if we talk about things like if we go on to sex then for example i mean certain positions were, can cause an issue with things like that can't they mm -hmm. i'm sure you'll agree um and it's, it can be very painful i've had cramps in my legs i don't know if you guys ever have cramps in your legs for example from where it's like the circulation cuts off um i've had issues with my hips um just like just pain basically <laughs> just pain so and you know it, it's where it moves out of the position um again since i've been taking the zinc i have to say um things have been a little better i seem to be tightening up would you agree fee i think you've said the same do you feel things are tightening i mean from my point i mean right now i measured it um yesterday i've lost about 17 percent high mobility so what I mean by that is that I'm less flexible, 17%. Um, so for me, I have tightened up a lot more. But going back to things like, you know, positions and stuff like that, you mm -hmm. know, before all this, like in my younger years, like my 20s, early 30s, I would have a lot of issues in specific positions or, for example, a lot of time bleeding in sex as well. I'll put it out there uh, because I think that's an important thing to mm -hmm. talk about. And also, you know, pain as well. Because, you know, a lot of people in the EGS community have that, the women especially. I was told, so I had colposcopy treatment when I was um, 19 and I had quite a lot of colposcopy treatment and they told me that when um, my cervix was like a sponge and when they pushed on it that it bled, basically. I've always had problems as well with smear tests and speculums. They're very painful to me. I get mm -hmm. like I'm having severe period pains. I think the problem for me is like the stirrups because I've I, my hip surgeon actually told me when you're doing any type of gynecological surgery, have your hips in the 90 degree uh, flexion, 45 degree adduction. And the smaller the adduction, like 30 to 35, is best for people with like hip dysplasia or hip mm -hmm. abnormalities. And I really think that we should start giving patients more breaks during like surgeries or exams to not keep those legs extended in those positions for an ex extended period amount of time. Um, especially mm -hmm. just pulling on these legs and pressure on these joints is really problematic specifically unless you have training and assessing those specific joints and how hypermobile are you in your hips because i can still stick both my legs behind my head um, <laughs> yeah i used to be really flexible i used to do ballet i did have um three hip surgeries i had the yeah, periosteal osteotomy and arthroscopy with the hip dysplasia and cam impingement um mm -hmm. but i was able to do the splits um i could bring my legs all the way back behind me when I was younger, I've gotten, as I've aged, I've gotten very stiff, but yeah. I was very flexible as a child. I mean, I will say about uh, surgical positions and treatment positions. So when I had multiple surgeries, i.e. like, I've had knee surgeries, hip surgeries, enough hip surgeries to write a book on. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like, even like with me, you know, after the hip surgery, it was pretty... Um, you know, hectic in the sense of, you know, like you say, you, you're put in a certain position, if that mm -hmm. makes sense, and you have to stay in that position for a certain amount of time. And, you know, that's, and then when you come out of that, you, you know, your legs do feel tight. 
you know, let's be honest, like the hip aspect, because you're in that position for a long time. So I do agree with you in that front, you know, that there needs to be like a change of position or a resting position, especially with the EGS type of joints. Have you ever had like your hips pulled by like um, separate like physios or like doctors? Because I have had yeah, you know, hold our body examined, and actually just recently in November I had someone pull pretty hard on me, and that really caused a lot of pain. I couldn't walk for maybe like seven to eight weeks, and it's just it's just really problematic because they don't have training in hip dysplasia, and they're going to do these exams. They're doing like the fader exam, um, the flexion, adduction, internal rotation exam, and they're just yanking on the hips. And my hip surgeons use their hands gently. They're not putting their whole body weight into me. And I really have had a lot of issues with those really rough exams. I mean, I will agree in that front. When they first originally do those particular basic hip examinations to check for, you know, FAI and things like that, if you don't have a doctor that understands EDS, they can be quite um, aggressive with it, I'm going to say. And then, I mean, I remember when I had the first one, they did this hurt, yank, and I'm like, ow, yes, you know. But then when I had a particular EDS hip specialist, he was really good. Do you know what he said? So before he even did the exam, the way I walked in, have you heard about the C sign, Jenny? I have. Yeah. So basically the C sign, when I walked in, um, you know, he said to me, he goes, right, he goes, even before I do the test, you've, you've got the C sign because of how you're holding your hip. And, you know, he said, that is a clinical aspect to me of FAI's EDS. He says, because everyone with EDS patients that I've had have had the C sign as soon as they walk through the door before I've even touched them. You know, and like the Trenenbell walk as well, as in the Trenenberg sign. So when, you know, you've got the offload aspect. Um, so, you know, it depends if you can find a very good hip surgeon that can actually sit there and be like, okay, that actually understands EGS before even touching you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. See, or a one doctor. Of, one of the things I did want to say is that I've actually never been formally diagnosed with EDS. I am 99.9% sure I have EDS, but none of my doctors ever said, mentioned it ever to me. And even with the bilateral hip dysplasia, still, they didn't think I had it. Yeah, I mean, I originally got my diagnosis after a particular surgery of waking up during a surgery and the tourniquet ripping off my skin and then severe issues from this particular surgery. Um, but then that led, I was quite lucky because at the time I had an anesthesiist and she knew what EDS was, if that makes sense. So I was quite lucky in the sense of that when she actually um, noticed what was happening on the table, the first thing she said to me was, right, you need to go to this rheumatologist. This is why, you know? So I was lucky I met her, the anesthesiist, Um, Because without her, there would have been a huge problem, you know? Mm -hmm. How many doctors would you say that you've seen to get to where you are now? Now, I've I've talked to people about this, okay? I think, one, I think people need to appreciate it takes time to build up a good MDT team, like a multidisciplinary team, you know, that get on, they work together well, they understand EGS. It can take years. Okay. I mean, I've been through, I mean, as an orthopedic doctors, I mean, I would probably say about one, two, I'd probably say a good 10. Because in the UK, you don't always get the same one you see, if that makes sense. You get all given different ones, depending on what issue. 
Um, so from that point, I'd say around about 10 I've been through as an orthopaedic. I've probably and seen out of them. I was going to say, I've go. probably <laughs> seen about 50 doctors in the last three years, and it's been 